Are you curious about the current state of the rapidly changing real estate market? For answers, look no further than Brian Linda at Coldwell Banker Bernizer Realtors. We are experienced real estate professionals with over 40 combined years in the industry. We have a finger on the pulse of the market and can help you understand the latest trends and conditions no matter how wild they appear. Right now, we are offering a free, no-strings-attached seller's guide. This guide is packed with valuable tips and insights to help you navigate the selling process with confidence. Contact us today at www.realestatechanged.com or find Get Brian and Linda on Facebook. Remember, for all things real estate, Get Brian and Linda. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dr. Usher Ways In. This is the podcast where we talk about really the two great American pandemics that are ongoing. Pandemic number one being the scourge of obesity affecting 75% of our country, and the second pandemic being skyrocketing healthcare costs. And we try to help uh, individuals and employers who uh, provide healthcare coverage for those individuals to uh, figure out how they can adjust costs and deal with, improve on their costs and deal with uh, the scourge of obesity in their population. Today, we are going to talk about the uh, conference I went to recently. I want to take, give you the top 10 takeaways from Low Carb Denver. Low Carb Denver is a uh, ongoing, uh, recurring uh, conference thrown by uh, Dr. Jeff Gerber, who's a family practitioner in Denver, and he runs a low-carb clinic, essentially. And his emphasis and his experience over the years are similar to mine in that this really seems to be the way forward for so many health problems. And so he has uh, put together Low-Carb Denver. It's been going on for uh, years now. Uh, there was a little hiatus in there with the pandemic, but this year they were back, and it was a, a raging conference. It was actually the first time I've ever been there. It was three days solid of uh, speaker after speaker after speaker from across the spectrum with scientists and uh, some YouTubers, actually, who are also physicians uh, and others who are experts in low-carb eating. And so we got to see just a, a ton of really great data uh, really reinforcing kind of what we've been doing with Reform Medicine's medical weight loss for uh, years now. So the top 10 takeaways, we'll just touch on all of these briefly because uh, there was a half an hour lecture on all of this. On each one of these topics, there was a half an hour lecture, and they probably could have gone on all day with their data. But we're going to just give you the the uh, bare bones kind of family practice approach, a mile wide and a half an inch deep. Uh, so here we go. Uh, and by the way, these are not necessarily in any particular order, but I think some of the most uh, important uh, game changers uh, will be uh, towards the end of this list of 10. And by the way, this is only day one. There were three days of this. This is day one. So uh, we might have to include that in the title of the podcast, Low Carb Denver 2023 Day One. Um, uh, it, there's just so so much uh, information that was um it provided so much insight into uh, into our health and chronic health problems and so forth. So we'll you'll have to derive from that. You, the listener, will have to derive from this uh, what you will, and we'll do additional podcasts uh, at some point, uh, diving, taking a deep dive on a couple of these because I think so much of that information is uh, is terribly important for uh, the American public to understand. Uh, so here we go. Uh, 
top ten takeaway number one. Well, let's call it number ten, and count down from there. Um, this is from Dr. Bill Schindler. He had a, a seven-year run of a show on National Geographic called The Great Human Race. And he went around the world uh, studying, he's an anth- uh, I, paleoanthropologist. He's got a name of something that I don't hear very often, but bottom line, he studies uh, how people live and have lived across the millennia as uh, the human species. So uh, he came and talked to us today about nutrition, of course, uh, back in Denver. And the top 10, and the idea is that uh, everybody asks the question, what are we meant to eat and what's the perfect food for human beings? Uh, And the bottom line was the only food we are perfectly designed to eat is raw dairy from our mother's breast milk when we are infants. Everything else that we eat we eat now because of our ability technologically to manipulate our food environment. That is to say, we've been on the planet in some form as Homo sapiens for hundreds of thousands, if not a million and a half years. But prior to that, our ancestors figured out that if they just could fracture a rock, they could make something that would be able to allow allow them to cut meat. So we kind of moved from being uh, hunt, just gatherers uh, to being s- effective scavengers. We could get out and after the, the big beast killed the gazelle, we could go out and cut a slab of meat off of that and run away before it came back and uh, feasted on us. So we became scavengers, and then because we could manipulate stones, it was really a cool thing. You just took a big piece of rock and hit it on the stage, did it right there for us, and it splintered off this piece of, I think it was flint, stone that just had this razor sharp edge that's all it took changed everything one homo uh hobolus or one of our ancestors figured out that if you split that piece of rock off you can cut stuff with it because it was so sharp after that we started developing spear tips and and uh, arrow points and things like that and then we became hunters and gatherers and uh, eventually we became producers. But that's only the last 15,000 years. That's when we figured out, hmm, we can actually grow stuff in one location. Then we settled down into societies and started growing farm goods and domesticated goats and and cattle and so forth. Uh, But that's only been the last 15,000 years. In the last couple hundred years, we've become consumers. That is to say, we were losing our direct connection with our food supply. And in the last, that is to say, we would go to a market and buy our food from somebody else who raised it. And now in today's mass-produced food world, we really are the only species on the planet who has to ask somebody else, what are we supposed to eat? What's the proper human diet? So the point is, there's only one food we're really perfectly designed to eat biologically, and that's the breast milk we get from our our mothers. Everything else, uh, somehow we've had to manage technologically. There was no way we were going to kill a buffalo on the plains without some pointy thing we could shoot at it from a long ways away. So that's number 10. And again, there's lots more to this, but uh, that's the that's the, the big point, is uh, breast milk is the perfect food for infants until they're old enough to chew their own meat. Uh, number 9, erectile dysfunction. When we talk about pandemics, we see a lot of this. Erectile dysfunction 
is a sign of insulin resistance. What do I mean by that? Insulin resistance is this situation where uh, we've been so toxified by the carbohydrates in our diet that uh, we start losing the ability to produce nitric oxide in the lining of our blood blood vessels it's called the endothelium or we get endothelial dysfunction uh, which you see in heart disease and strokes and erectile dysfunction is basically endothelial dysfunction uh, in the uh, male sexual organ so insulin resistance is what occurs after you've been running high insulin levels for years and years due to your diet and 93% of the population now of the adult population in the United States has some marker of insulin resistance or or dysmetabolic syndrome or fat storage syndrome you can call it all those things uh, but ultimately that's what's causing lots and lots of disease so erectile dysfunction is a sign of that and anybody who presents with erectile dysfunction you should at least uh, give thought to the idea of gee what's my blood sugar look like and what are my triglycerides and is my blood pressure as good as it should be and and how much do I weigh? Good news is uh, there are studies, uh, and my clinical experience say that if you can uh, lose a substantial amount of weight, five or ten percent of your body weight, you can improve that erectile dysfunction and avoid medication. Medications are pretty helpful for this, by the way, but the uh, probably the better way and the way that most people would prefer really is if they could get ten, uh, five or ten percent of their body weight off, that endothelial function improves. <laughs> Okay, number eight. Are we on eight, Scott? That was nine, right? Um, number eight. This There are a lot of people out there with uh, thyroid problems. And this, too, is often a result uh, or contributed to uh, by diet, which then leads to excess fat storage or obesity. And obesity affects, that excess fatty tissue affects your ability to metabolize thyroid hormone from the inactive to the active form. So the active form is, is T3 um, or lyothyronine if you want to know the technical term. But bottom line is we for years and years in medicine have been taught that TSH, that's the best screening uh, test for hypothyroidism. Uh, but you can have a normal TSH and you can have an abnormal free T3 or and T4 levels. Uh, what happens basically is this is the, the short version is TSH comes from the brain. It tells the thyroid to make hormone in response to a feedback mechanism, sort of like a furnace kicks out heat in response to a signal from the thermostat. So the brain is the thermostat, and the pituitary is the thermostat, and it sends out this message, TSH, tells your thyroid to make more hormone. And so it's been thought over the years that if we just check that TSH level, we'll have a pretty good idea whether that whole thing is working well. Well, it turns out that's probably not the best way to go for people who have uh, some of the classic sim symptoms of hypothyroidism uh, because you can have a normal TSH and a normal free T4 level, and your T3 can be low. And the the reason that T3 is low is because that end, those enzymes... Uh, fancy word, deiodinases, that convert T4 into the active form T3 don't work as well because of excess body fat. So if you're thinking, gee, my, I just feel for all the world like I've got low thyroid, I feel uh, brain fog, and I gained a bunch of weight, 
a bunch of weight, maybe 10 or 15 pounds, you can ascribe to the thyroid. Uh, I'm tired all the time. Uh, my skin is dry. My hair is falling out. There's about 20 different thyroid symptoms. Um, and you have all that, and you have a normal TSH. It's still possible that your free T3 is low. So if, if you have those and your doctor is wanting to check your thyroid, uh, ask them to check a free T3 for you just to make sure that that isn't um, relatively low. And it's possible those could all be normal numbers and you could still clinically have hypothyroidism, uh, that, uh, symptoms that would respond to adding some thyroid. And maybe the thyroid you need is actually cytomel or T3 instead of uh, synthroid or levothyroxine, which is T4. So there's a lot more to talk about with that. Uh, but but the bottom line is free T3 is the best indicator of thyroid status, uh, particularly if you have thyroid symptoms. Okay, we're on to number seven. Number seven. Uh, this is from uh, Dr. Tro. Is, uh, Tro is his first name. Uh, he has a medical weight loss practice out in New York State, uh, just outside of New York City. And uh, he uh, has been, uh, he's a very successful, very successfully lost 150 pounds and has been keeping it off. He's an internal medicine doctor, uh, and he's a bit of a rebel. He's the guy that will be out there banging on the door for uh, low-carb dieting and so forth um, and and irritating people with it, <laughs> which is, I like his spirit. So his uh, number, so uh, this takeaway is if you're going to put somebody on a diet that is not a low-carb ketogenic diet or therapeutic nutritional ketosis, you really should be giving somebody informed consent. As a, as a dietitian, as a physician, as anybody who's providing um, information to people uh, who are going to get on uh, something other than a, a weight loss, uh, a, a low-carb diet, you should give them informed consent. What does the informed consent consist of? Well, you should know if you're not going to do a low-carb diet and you're going to try to count calories or go on a low-fat diet, that those types of diets will generally increase your hunger. Number one. Number two, in the short run at least, you're going to experience lots of cravings. Uh, why? Because you're continuing to uh, bomb yourself with carbohydrates. If you're not lowering your carbs, those carbs drive cravings uh, because of their effect on dopamine uh, in the brain. And so by not having adequate amounts of other nutrients because you're cutting back on something besides carbohydrate, um, you're uh, likely to to experience cravings on an ongoing basis because the carbs keep the cravings alive. Uh, number three, you're going to have feelings of deprivation. Why is that? Well, number one, you're deprived of time because you haven't spent a lot of time counting things or paying attention to such things. Um, but you're also going to wind up feeling like there's lots of things in the environment you can't have or you're looking for the low-fat version of something or the calorie-restricted version of something. And feelings of depri deprivation lead to poor adherence. That is to say, you can only take that for so long, and then you got to kick in. Or as a friend of mine once said, you know, pasta's good for the soul. <laughs> so people will, um, uh, at some point there, that gets uh, very challenging. So that's informed consent. People need to know that they're going to be in for this stuff if they're, if they're on a low-carb diet, those feelings are, are much less of a problem because basically we're not telling you how much to eat. We just tell you 
change the proportions of what you eat and uh, the things that provide satiety and uh, eliminate cravings and hunger and so forth is those high satiety protein rich foods and fat is really not an issue at all so a fourth uh, informed consent item is that during social situations and this is probably true in low-carb dieting as well you're going to have to change your behavior you have to think differently when you go to meetings or go out on dates and go to parties or conferences and so forth uh, so when you're dieting you are going to have to really pay close attention and that's that is um, ties in kind of closely with number five which is there are you'll have to change your emotional uh, intelligence around food let's say um, because when you there are a lot of people out there who are emotional eaters they're stress eaters and they'll eat all the bad stuff to celebrate right this is a cultural problem uh, obesity and so people will get depressed and they'll eat or they'll be happy and they'll eat they'll go to a meeting and they'll eat and what's served there is often what's easy and cheap which tends to be very high carb and for reasons we're going to get to here shortly it that's just a stimulus of not only obesity but all the related diseases at some point there he even uh, dr Tro mentions even the emotion of decision fatigue you get tired of having to look for that thing and that will uh, cause people to give out on whatever diet they're trying to do so informed consent if you're going to do a diet you just got to be aware that some of these things are going to happen to you low carb diets you generally deal with those uh, much less often for a much shorter period of time okay uh, next number what are we on six uh, this is number six is therapeutic nutritional ketosis for the mind what do I mean by that this was presented by dr. Brett Scher who's a cardiologist he has a uh, is medical director for a nonprofit uh, called metabolic mind you can see their stuff online or YouTube or wherever um, and if I'm talking about these guys I would endorse it's my endorsement I wouldn't be talking about these guys if if I didn't uh, believe what they were saying and trusting in what they were telling you I've heard dr. share in other situations but he talked about the he said therapeutic nutritional ketosis is another way of saying a keto diet uh, ketogenic diet uh, but he showed some great evidence about uh, how this therapeutic approach works better than or equal to probably better in some ways than FDA approved medications right if this was a medication it would have an FDA approval for treating numerous diseases so uh, the reason being is that uh, in a ketogenic diet you see this uh, uh, substance in your brain called GABA uh, go up which is good for uh, relaxation and feelings of wellness and the opposite of that is glutamate which goes down and glutamate contributes to uh, inflammation and things in the brain which make us not feel unwell so uh, by eating a ketogenic diet you have ketone bodies fueling the brain which lowers the inflammation in the brain it's actually a better fuel source for the brain uh, than sugar and uh, the brain actually gets insulin resistant as well so that improves the little thingies in your blood cells called mitochondria that 
are the little power stations, the things that crank out uh, uh, yeah, crank out energy really for the brain cells. Uh, those work better. Uh, there's just a ton of uh, reasons why this is very good. And he referred to one uh, study done with 31 subjects who were what we call refractory in their mental health illness, serious mental health illness like uh, schizophrenia, uh, bipolar illness, depression, major depression. And uh, they took these people, they'd been treated with meds from different doctors, Nobody, nothing was helping. So they left them on whatever their current regimen of medicine was, put them in a metabolic hospital or metabolic ward, and all they did was change their diet. Uh, three of those people did not do very well with being constrained and so forth, so they, they pulled those three out of the study. The other 28 were uh, completed the eight-week study, and they all were on a ketogenic diet, very low-carb ketogenic diet with um, 75 to 80% of the uh, calories from fat, 15 to 20% of their calories uh, from protein and 5% or less from carbohydrate. And what they found in this group of 28 people, 43% of these people severe refractory symptoms from these bad diseases. 43% of them went to remission. Like they had no symptoms at all, like they had no disease at all. Uh, in eight weeks, just by changing their food. 64% of the patients actually left the hospital with less medication than they started with. 100% of them, of course, felt better, and 96% uh, of them lost some weight while on the plan. So therapeutic nutritional ketosis, another term for, geez, keto works so well, it ought to be FDA approved like a drug, uh, because it, there isn't another, there's no study out there showing any psychiatric medication that will take somebody like this just to remission with one application. It's, it's unbelievable data. Okay, next number, number five. Fruit sugar, the mitochondrial killer. Fruit sugar is the mitochondrial killer. Uh, fruit sugar is otherwise known as fructose. Uh, this was uh, uh, presented by Dr. Rick Johnson, who's a uh, nephrologist or kidney specialist, really, out of the University of Colorado. But he's been studying metabolism for probably 25 years. Uh, in his lab there at the university, and he works with mice, and they do things with humans and all kinds of different uh, things. But basically what he's established over time, and he presented the data for and made a very, very good case, is that fructose, which is uh, most often what you find in fruits, the things that the government tells us to eat lots of, lots of fruits and vegetables, they tell us. Well, what does everybody eat? Fruit. Why? Because it's low sugar, and that has all those things and since somebody's telling us it's good for us yay we'll eat fruit rather than eat that broccoli or cauliflower or asparagus uh, because the fruit is just yummy um, but fructose that fructose is the source of uh, just about every disease that we treat on a chronic basis related to our metabolism that is diabetes and high blood pressure and heart disease and uh, the kidney failure that goes from diabetes and all, all these horrible diseases fructose is kind of the the linchpin of that and and the enzyme that converts it uh, from fructose to glucose called fructokinase uh, really literally steals energy from our brains and from our systems uh, and and creates a situation where the mitochondria get poisoned by the uric acid that comes out of that chemical equation inside the cell 
uh, and every cell in our body, including the brain. So fruit, there's really good reasons why our biology is designed to want to eat fructose. And uh, actually, Dr. Johnson has a book called Nature Wants Us to Be Fat. Um, and again, we'll do a whole other podcast on this, I'm sure, because there's so much to this. But basically, we're supposed to hibernate after getting fat. And then, you know, big animals like bears will hibernate for three or four months while they're fasting for three or four months. So they'll get really fat and they'll look really sick. If they were humans, we'd say, you have metabolic syndrome. But for the bear, it's what they need to uh, get through the winter. And so because we don't hibernate and we just keep eating all the same foods that make the bear ready for hibernation, we call it metabolic syndrome. And over time, these things cause us to get sick. So um, fructose causes all kinds of problems, and we'll talk more about that. But basically, for the moment, fruit sugar or fructose uh, is really the linchpin, the, the key to all of uh, why low-carb dieting makes so much sense. Okay, number four. Glucose and insulin move over. Uh, glucose and insulin, this glucose uh, carbohydrate and insulin theory, which we have espoused for years and years, which is still very valid, by the way, as a cause of obesity and disease is, and this is what I think was so kind of earth-shaking or earth-moving, maybe less important than that whole thing we talked about just a minute ago, which is the fructose uh, pathway uh, through uh, fructokinase. Uh, and the reason I say that is because uh, glucose and insulin have uh, kind of biological reasons why they, over time, could be beneficial, at least in kids, helping growth and so forth. Uh, fructokinase is right off the bat is something that uh, our fructose is a thing that really just steals energy from the brain. It actually puts us into what we call a, what Dr. Johnson described as kind of a foraging response. After you've been on a higher fructose diet for a week or two, uh, you lose the ability to, to focus as well as you'd like to. You're kind of hungry all the time. You're always focused on food. It's these people who feel like they're food addicts. Uh, and again, when you're a hibernating animal and you're trying to get fat so you can survive the winter, all that makes sense. But in humans, we continuously feed ourselves this sugar and uh, through the over the period of lifetime, uh, that starts to cause all kinds of disease, not the least of which might be Alzheimer's disease, uh, which we'll talk about in another slide or two. Um, but it is literally, it's like the light switch. Fructose, he calls it the... the, the uh, he calls fructose a survival uh, sugar for animals, and it's the biological switch that turns on what we know of as humans, as disease. Okay, number three, salt makes us fat? Wow. The same Dr. Johnson presented data on this, and there's a, uh, due to osmolality, I guess, uh, in the in the bloodstream, in the system, Salt, when we eat a relatively high salt diet for over a long period of time, uh, causes uh, the body to gain body fat. And the reason is salt turns on a, a biochemical pathway whereby uh, it's called um, through al aldose reductase is the enzyme, where glucose gets turned into sorbitol and sorbitol gets turned into fructose. And so... Fruit, then that fructose goes through that fructokinase pathway and causes all the health problems. 
And so uh, people put out salt licks for deer, not because they want the deer to have salt, but because they want the deer to get bigger, right? If you're hunting deer, have hunting property, and you have a salt lick on there, the benefit of that is that it actually makes the deer um, uh, retain energy, makes them a little heavier, maybe a little bigger. So a high salt diet, while I don't really advocate a low salt diet for most people, uh, there are some people where that's really important, uh, heart failure and such, but uh, salt really isn't the thing that drives blood pressure so much generally. Um, it's that glucose and fructose will drive your blood pressure up. Um, but salt isn't completely benign, and so uh, just be aware of that. If you if you like a lot of salt and you're having trouble losing weight, that may be part of the problem. Um, and that is all I'm going to say about salt for the moment. All right, we're down to, are we at number two? Number one. Number two? Number two. Starch does not get a free pass. That is to say, all of all this I've talked about with fructose, uh, glucose, the starchy stuff, the pasta, the bread, the potatoes, uh, they don't get a free pass. There's a this thing called the polyol pathway, uh, which essentially is the same pathway as uh, related to the salt, except that by dumping in lots of glucose into the blood, bloodstream, we didn't know this. I did not know this when I went to this conference. That you can push glucose to fructose. We always thought fructose was converted to glucose, and it was kind of a one-way one-way street. But glucose can get pushed through this polyol pathway through sorbitol to fructose, and that fructose again is the source of the disease. That turns on the fructokinase and all of the foraging behavior and the trouble stopping eating and uh, drives obesogenic behavior. So high carb diets, high glycemic carbohydrates, people with diabetes where their blood sugar just runs high, uh, they fig can't figure out why they can't lose weight while they're hungry all the time uh, and so forth. And uh, we doctors keep chasing them with drugs and what we really need to do is uh, get their carbs down and shut that pathway off. Um, and then number one, we have the federal government to thank for much of this. Um, it's been shown over and over and over that in the early 1980s the federal government came out with this food pyramid about the same time the government uh, started probably in the late 70s had begun subsidizing corn production and uh, a byproduct of corn production is high fructose corn syrup uh, they were subsidizing corn basically to get the ethanol into the gas tanks and so forth. It's very complex and I don't know it all very well, but this is how it uh, how it looks on the timeline. And so um, we came out with these diet guidelines that said eat 6 to 11 servings of grains and starches a day. Uh, we made sugar really cheap through sugar subsidies. We had subsidized now corn and uh, f therefore high fructose corn syrup. And this was the first generation since Medicare. So Medicare came on about 65. So the concept of somebody else paying for our health care, and we should be entitled to that. Medicaid came along shortly after that. So the idea, there's a dissociation between, I do things that create ill health, and that's okay because I have free health care. Um, all of that together created this perfect storm, and all of that was driven by federal government policy um, generally. Human nature hasn't changed in the last 40 years. It's what we have done uh, in those policies that have really promoted this whole uh, obesity pandemic. So those are the top 10 takeaways from Low Carb Denver 2023, day one. Stay tuned. There may be more to come on that at a 
at another podcast. Uh, I'd like to thank you all for tuning in with us today uh, at Reform at a Dr. Usher Ways In. Our clinical practice is Reform Medicine and Reform Direct for Employers. I hope you'll tune in with another podcast for us soon.